A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to One Shots, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the real history of Napoleon. I'm David. And I'm Alicia. And this is our coverage of the 2023 Ridley Scott film, Napoleon. In this podcast, we're going to share our thoughts about the movie, starting off with some spoiler-free hot takes. And then after a quick break, we'll get into spoilers and all the details of the movie. In this podcast, we're going to share our thoughts about the movie, starting off with our spoiler-free hot takes. After a quick break, we'll get into spoilers and get into the details of the movie and the history of Napoleon. A quick reminder that if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to support us, visit us over at patreon.com slash thelorehounds, link in the show notes below. For as little as $3 a month, you can get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access, and a bunch of other exclusive content. Another way you can help out the podcast is to leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is a great way to help poke the algorithms, which help with our visibility on the interwebs. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us or use the contact page at our website. We've got a contact form and a voicemail feature, so it makes it super easy to get in touch with us. If you want to send us an email, send those to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com. Also, join us on our Discord server. We've got a fun and welcoming community, and we've got channels set up for all the different shows and projects that we've got going on. Links for all of those are in the show notes below. Alicia, welcome to One Shots. How you doing? Uh, good. Glad to be here talking about... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about our opinions of the movie, but Napoleon's yeah. one of my... I don't want to say favorite historical figures, but one of the most fascinating historical okay. figures to me. So very an intriguing topic for you. So yes, hard, hard to pass up this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a quick note about the one shots format. This is our format for anything that we're not doing regular weekly or in-depth coverage of. This is just a chance for us to jump in and casually talk about a show or a title. We haven't done a one shot on a book, but yeah, anything that's, that's, active and happening and we can find time in our busy lives and schedule across multiple time zones. And uh, so, yeah, they're just sort of our, our standalone little uh, shows. So you got to see the movie the other day. I saw it last night. How was your theater going experience? Well, so the options to see the movie were either go to the big commercial theater and pay extra for 40X or Dolby or go to the indie theater, which I can go to for quote unquote free with my unlimited pass. So I okay, chose nice. the latter. So okay. 
so I have to. And I think you, know, you posted a, a link, a picture somewhere on yeah. some some social and it yeah. seemed like a, a place where you could get beverages and maybe some yeah. food or something. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, in the city center and it's like an, well, actually they're both in the city center, but it's right. an old fashioned, you know, uh, movie going experience at the little tables with the lamps and stuff. Um, Fun. now, yeah, it's, but that theater, the audience is always, the theaters are smaller and the audience is always quieter because that's where like indie movies are screened. So okay, it's a different, right. I'm sure it would have People been a complete, serious about their yeah, theater. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm sure it would have been a completely different experience if I went to the Dolby theater and saw it, okay. you know, which is a much more rowdy experience. Got it. Bigger. Yeah. yeah got mm-hmm. it. Was it, was there a lot of folks seeing it? When did you see it? What night? No, I saw it yesterday. Uh, okay, so Monday it was night like, as well. Yeah, um, okay. and it was it was a small theater, and the theater was probably about two thirds full. So okay. yeah, that's pretty good for a Monday. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It, it, but it's a smaller theater in the city center, so yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I saw it last night as well at our local theater. They had it in the big room, which is this big sort of. Greek inspired space with a Zodiac painted on the ceiling and some mm-hmm. columns and, and statues, but it also serves as our town's uh, main amphitheater auditorium stage. So there's lots of different kinds of performances and things like that. And they've just put in a new sound system to it and it seemed pretty good. So the, my picture quality and sound were, were nice. And I was surprised there were about 14 or 15 other people in the theater, mostly all couples at or around retirement age. Uh, you know, so, but, and it's a big room. So we were, everybody was all spread out, but for, you know, a Monday night that seemed like a pretty fair group of people to, you know, brave the brave the cold of Vermont to get out to see yeah, it. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Cause it was also bad weather here last night too. It was like freezing rain. So yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, people did brave the weather. And it was also couples in my theater, but I think more in like their 30s. Okay, interesting. Uh, Before we get into our hot takes, did you see any interesting trailers for upcoming films? Anything that was of note that you want to talk about? Um, oh man, I, so I watch so many trailers, um, just on like YouTube. I watch them as soon as they come out, Okay, but I never really remember what I see in the theater also because oh, oh, no. Sorry, I, I tend to slide into my seat at the last possible minute because okay. I got that timing down. So I, I don't know. I can like, I've seen a lot of interesting trailers, but they're all jumbled in my head because, you know, we've got. Uh, we've got like the blockbuster side of things, but we're also starting to get into award season. So I'm thinking about all these right. more serious movies too. Okay. All right. So, so no, no, no notable trailers on your end. I had Dune 2 and that was the only oh. one that they had. And I did not have that for sure. Okay. I was, <laughs> I had mixed feelings. I was excited. I'm glad okay. to see that it's you know they're starting to work on the marketing, and now that we have a March first date, so they mm-hmm. pulled it up two weeks uh, from the middle of March. And as soon as the SAG after folks, uh, if uh, we're assuming that they're going to ratify the uh, the deal, they're going right. to be uh, out on the out on the push to you know market the film and things like that. So I'm sure we're going to see a lot more stuff in- increasingly. I will say. You and I are both big Dune fans, and mm-hmm. we're definitely going to – you and Luke are covering. Right. You're doing a bunch of sort of 360 cultural coverage of the Dune and the phenomena of Dune. 
And uh, I, I know that we talked with uh, Maester Anthony and, and Steve about the Dune on, on their podcast as well. And I'm, I'm sure both of us are going to be there as soon as we can see right. it. We're going to see it. I have mixed feelings about Villeneuve's um, mm-hmm. take for it. Visually, I think he's nailed it. Uh, I have some issues with some of the other things, but I am really looking forward to this movie. So, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm also uh, because it, it was. It felt like the first half was kind of a tease, and I think that that's a problem that a lot of people have with it. And yeah, for sure, knowing what happens in the second half of the book. Okay. I mean, they can't possibly <laughs> cut out the so scenes hard. that I love like they did in the first half. You, you right. can't cut them out. So they're, exactly. Yeah. I did order that book. Uh, well, I, we're, we're sliding into Dune here, but we'll, yeah. we'll slide out. But I did order that book uh, that's the sort of documents uh, David Lynch's, uh, mm. the way that he made, you know, the, the, the sort of oral history of of how the first, of the 1984 movie was right. made. So. Oh, awesome. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. I'm looking forward to, yeah, so I think, end of, I have to look at the schedule again. End of January, yeah. early February, we'll do that 1984 episode. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a hot mess, but I love it so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's start talking about Ridley Scott. Speaking of uh, big directors and big films, let's get into some spoiler-free hot takes. Off the top, what is what are your thoughts and feelings about uh, Ridley Scott's latest offering? Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk about mm. what awards this movie could be up for. And okay. for me, I would put it up for production design, costuming, and maybe even cinematography, because um, okay. there are certainly great moments of that. But the production design and the costuming are just amazing. I would love to mm-hmm. have prints from so many scenes in this film. Um, and yeah, the subject, it's its one of the most fascinatingly complex figures in history. It's just like one man who left a mark on modern Europe as indelible as the Roman empires. So sure. yeah. it's it, he's, you know fertile ground for mm-hmm. making a movie. And also Josephine's a fascinating figure who, you know, she was a woman who was restricted by her time trying to survive and trying to actually live, you know, enjoy right. her one mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what was going on with the writing and directing and editing? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I think they tried to cover too much in too little time, even though it's, you know, two and a half hours. Um, And I'm not sure they had a clear idea what the point of the film was, you know, Mm -hmm. they were just kind of flitting through moments, but they weren't showing how they came about or why these moments were important or what Mm -hmm. they really meant. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being lovely images, but feeling empty to me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and they also, the, uh, you know, I have a personal sour point that they skipped over basically all of my personal greatest hits okay. in uh, Napoleon's history. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which are well, we don't without oh, yeah. being spoiler. What's what? What's the? Was it the political stuff or the military stuff or what was the? Um, for me, well, we'll we'll get into it more as we okay. talk more. But yeah, for okay. I mean, so it's, there's not yeah, a single just who of- who he is, who Josephine mm-hmm. is, uh, okay. a lot of the, the things that he was involved in. I right. know, uh, also like just historical events. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Yeah, and and also yeah. So the question is, do you think Joaquin Phoenix was the right casting? I had this very thought pretty much the entire film from the moment that we first hear Phoenix's voice. I was like, 
oh, I don't know if this is right. <laughs> Visually, he looked great. His physical presence, uh, his body, his face, just mm-hmm. all of that. Obviously, we don't have any you know, live recordings of Napoleon, so it's hard to compare, but we have a lot of drawings and paintings. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of information for them to build off of there. I think he he visually fit the role. I'm not sure that he had the right essence for it. And I felt a little bit um, dissatisfied and disappointed with his portrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something. I was expecting this whole movie to have a lot more gravity. Right. And a lot mm-hmm. more uh, uh, intensity and, and import. And I just felt, I think, very much similar to you in that I'm not sure. I never felt confident about what the filmmakers were trying to do. I got very mm-hmm. confused at, at, at times. So, but, but that's now sliding into my hot takes. And I, didn't, I want to make mm-hmm. sure if you have any more thoughts. Uh, so I, I am, I think, a yes and a no for... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, I think he he did in some ways a great job, and then other ways he missed for me. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, also a yes and a no for me. Uh, for the record, he actually is like the perfect height to play Napoleon because Napoleon's shortness is overblown. He was like five six or so, um, okay. which right. was which was average, sure. not even short average, just average average for that time. And so that, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is analogous in our modern era, pretty much. Right. Um, it, it was basically British propaganda that was like, oh, this short man, uh, we're going right. to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Great propagandist, the Brits. Um, and for me, and, and the age thing, you know, the complaints, he's 49 and he plays Napoleon between ages 24 and 51. Mm-hmm. So you just have to have like a suspension of disbelief because he's only the right age at the end of the movie. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so I can understand why people are bothered by that. That part didn't bother me as much. The accent kind of threw me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it felt weird because we have like the Brits and Austrians and Russians speaking in what you think of as British, Austrian and Russian accents to, um, <laughs> to, you know, someone who's supposed to be French and sounds like American, but the way Joaquin Phoenix's accent is sort of, it's not a refined, polished accent, which uh, is sort of analogous to the fact that Napoleon was from Corsica. Mm-hmm. And so he was seen as, you know, not coming from a refined place and right, somewhat right. an outsider to, you know, uh, coming up. Where is, so Corsica is an island, right? Yeah. And it is off the coast of Italy. So it's mm-hmm. sort of halfway between Italy and France, near Marseille, Nice, um, Genoa is uh, directly north of it. So was what? how much do you know about Corsica then and now? Is that- Well, uh, I mean, the I know in terms of his life, the year, I think it was the actual year he was born was when France took Corsica. Okay. So he was raised- by his father was like, you know, we are Corsican and, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swear, fuck the French, you know, that's, this <laughs> right. is how he was raised. But then, right. that was but, his then his, but then his father became a collaborator because, okay. you know, he was going to get something out of it. Uh-huh. And that 
and you know Napoleon, he was educated in France, and then he couldn't go back to Corsica. They didn't trust him anymore because his father turned collaborator, so he was forced to side with the French. Who, but he still, you know. So then it becomes okay. So we, uh, I'm siding with the French, but it's the royalists. The royals are the problem. That's mm-hmm. you know the people to fight against. Interesting. And then he spent, a, so he ends up spending a lot of time. He's from an island and then he spends a, a, a chunk of time on two other he islands. Spends, yeah. He starts life. and ends his life on, <laughs> on islands. Island. Yeah. Very funny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I was told that the, uh, did you think the movie was funny by the way? Cause no. that's one of, no. Cause a lot of people are like, uh, it's, it's a funny movie. And I guess, I, I guess I see, I definitely see the moments they were talking about. There were a couple quiet chuckles in my theater. I mm-hmm. might have like quietly chuckled once or twice, but. I can see where they tried to sh- uh, play for some humor mm-hmm. and to play, uh, especially with, there's a couple of scenes with Josephine and, and Napoleon and uh, Napoleon as well around some of the power struggle and political stuff. But I didn't ever, I never laughed. Nobody in my theater, I mean, there's only <laughs> there are 15 other people in there. Nobody else laughed. And um, I just kind of thought it was a humorless movie. And I actually thought that the humor did something weird that, you know, it didn't work. And it made me think about the fact that it didn't work. So. Uh, okay. I, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was. Oof, what what can I say? <laughs> I don't. Did you have any other thoughts? Yeah, or, I mean, what 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 is your hot take on the film? I so I, I'll preface it this way: we're definitely going to talk about the film, and uh, I know Napoleon as a subject is is something that is of interest and fascination for you. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what your deeper thoughts are on the historicity of of this is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to kind of be your foil <laughs> in this okay, podcast yeah. today, but I was frustrated by this film. Uh, mm-hmm. I was checking my watch uh, frequently, especially towards the end, thinking about, oh my Lord, when is this thing going to end? I was confused. I was uh, oftentimes disappointed. I wanted, I never felt like I got a clear read on who Josephine was or who Napoleon was. Not on a deeper level. I got the surface stuff, right? I got the the apparent surface things, the idea of greatness and, and the idea of seizing power and the idea of um, uh, populism, you know, and, and sort of, you know, his, his interest in being a populist leader and at the same time being a, a brilliant tactician. And I got this sense of uh, Josephine as a as a survivor and part of the aristocracy and and navigating that, but but never a, a deeper level. I never understood what Napoleon's tactical genius really looked like. I never really understood what um, Josephine's deeper motivations were, or what she had to do to survive, or how did she balance, you know, the various forces that she was uh, at an intersection of, and it that left me very disappointed in 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 what I was really hoping for. Fingers crossed was going to be a really interesting biopic, yeah. uh, and I never felt that the movie settled in any one place, be mm. it the political 
be it the uh, or and or the history of France at that time and Europe and all of the sort of great powers and uh, setting the stage mm-hmm. for what will come in the modern era. So we have this whole different type of warfare and this and the continent being racked by warfare over and over and over again and, and Bonaparte being such a, a pivotal figure in that history. So I never I got a little taste of that, but then I I never understood, um, you know, d- they didn't go into the battles or uh, in in any way the, or the politics, and then there's this relationship going on, and okay, that's a big driver for both of them and for him in, in particular, but I never understood how that wove in with it. They were just. It was like multiple movies. There's several great mm-hmm. movies in here. Yeah. And if they had just That's picked the one theme. Yes. Yes. Or make it a series. But yeah. It's, right. Yeah. It Focus just, or, yeah, expand. <laughs> it needed, yeah, it needed a focus. You know, the letters were important. Okay, cool. The letters are interesting and they make a big point of that towards the end. But that that never really, there's there's nothing for us, dramaturgically speaking, for us to really hook ourselves into a story. I, I need a yeah. beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And I, I, I we got that, but not in a dramatic story way. And so yeah. I guess that was, I will agree, the costuming was mm-hmm. gorgeous, was exquisite, exceptional. The production design, the sets looked amazing. The um, The battle scenes were, were staged really well. But then at the same time, I was left a little cold by um, the the sound didn't really punch me the way that I was hoping it would. Okay. And maybe it was just my theater. I know they put in a new system, but it didn't seem surround sound or Dolby or anything like that. It was, it was okay. pretty. Um, I mean, I wasn't it, in Dolby, so it seemed right. fine for me. Yeah. And then it was very blue and dark overall, the film. It was very mm-hmm. dim and, and that's fine, but I don't know. It, 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 it it, yeah. it, again, it was just one of those things where I, I don't understand what's happening here or why they're making these choices. So I was left really disappointed uh, mm-hmm. with the film overall. Um, and who knows, maybe maybe in time this will be an important biopic sort of, you know, in a library yeah. of, of biopics of great men. I, I do think that one thing that the film did for me was – made me really think about the whole great man phenomenon. I'm saying okay. man specifically. Yep. Uh, I'm, but that's I'm, appropriate with Napoleon. Yeah, exactly. But then this whole idea, I'm like, what if that was Elon Musk? Or what if that, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know we're looking at, at Putin or we're looking at, you know, other political and and historical figures in, in our country and, and around. And so it really made me question this this idea, like what is it within our – in our collective humanity that we keep giving space for these guys to uh, come yeah. up. <clears throat> and what was the total at the, <clears throat> they listed at the end there, sort of a, a body count at like 3 million right. people mm-hmm. suffered because of this man's But ego. that's only, that's like only counting of relatively few specific things in Europe. That's actually, Napoleon had such a bigger impact than that. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it really made me think about that whole question of how we, you know, how we empower uh, our leaders. I'm, I was thinking a lot, too, about the question that Varys poses 
from Game of Thrones. I forget what season that was, but uh, who is he talking to? Uh, Tyrion, and and they're talking about where does power reside, mm-hmm. right? Does it does it reside with the guy with the money or the knife or the guy who you know? And this idea that um, Napoleon crowns himself emperor by his own hand is a is a really interesting thought because up until then the line of legitimacy was always from this sort of divine right or at least in Europe right, right, um, right. was this divine right of kings and then so then right. one of the other plot drivers is an heir to you know his quote his throne yeah and so I mean, there's such great material yeah. all around this movie and yet if they had just posed one question or focused on one element of his life, I think the, it would have really crystallized all of the other things that they were trying to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to think, you know, that, that uh, self-crowning moment, that's, that's real. Um, yeah. That did happen. Um, no spoilers but, there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no spoilers for history. But um, I was thinking like, why did Ridley Scott want to make this movie? Because he's famous. And why even- now? Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, it's part but, of the why question. But he's famously been going around and like people who have been criti- criticizing the historicity of the movie. He's been saying <laughs> yes. like, "Get a life," and you know, <laughs> there's all these books you read too. You've read them all, and you know, historians right. are just like bristling. They're like, "We were gonna go have fun, but now you're insulting our work." Right. Um, right. But it, it, but so I'm like, well, okay, why did he want to make this movie then? Uh, and I think it's because he wanted to film the battle sequences. Okay. I think he wanted to put those famous battles on screen and then, you know, string together a sparse narrative around it. And he was like, okay, well, I'll make Josephine the emotional heart. So uh, that would have been fine. Even so, I never felt like I understood, mm-hmm. except for the very first battle where he, before when he's still uh, an, uh, a general artillery officer, I never understood the importance of these key battles. Mm-hmm. I never understood what went into making those battles a success because one of the things that people study about the Napoleonic age is his ability right. to not only to, to have battlefield tactics, mm-hmm. but to understand the importance of supply lines and logistics and how you muster and motivate and how you, yeah. how you feed Absolutely. and equip all, all of those people. That's some of the, his brilliance as a, yeah. general military leader. We Where got was our Braveheart moment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To inspire yeah. his, I mean, we've got a, we got a couple of scenes, but mm-hmm. I, so I never felt that any of the big battle sequences that they filmed for us really explored and explained to me what was going right. on. Right. And, and even the final battle scene, I was just left like, huh? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Where by that point I should be a somewhat of a, if the film is, doing something in terms of if, if it shows that, right. If that shows that mm-hmm. as the primary thematic element to follow, then by the end of the film, if you've been training me and teaching me uh, along the way and building that me should up, be a payoff. Yeah, exactly. I should be like, wow, I understand this battle. I understand how Waterloo His tactics went down. back around on him. And yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there were little visual elements of that in, in certain key scenes where, some troops are using some of his tactics and they show us a couple of things with the smaller mm-hmm. mortars or using the, you know, uh, uh, different kinds of battle lines. But yeah, it, it, it just suffers from a lack of focus, I think, across yeah. the board. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, 
Well, unless you've got anything else uh, on our hot takes, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we can start to get into the details uh, of the film and start to take apart the film at a, at a more specific level. And we're back. Okay, Alicia, let's get into the movie a little bit. You've got some great notes here. As we established before, you, you've got a good sense of the history of Napoleon. So I think we're probably all a little bit curious to know where the film weaves in and out of, uh, of its history. And hopefully Ridley Scott won't give you a hard time <laughs> for <laughs> busting him on some of this, <laughs> since I know he was uh, giving the fingers to uh yeah <laughs> to, well to he tells things. me to to get a life fair play but this is my life caring about <laughs> yes, details <laughs> like this <laughs> exactly cool all right well what's what's up first um yeah well, i mean i just want to set the stage about like why napoleon is such a fascinating figure um mm-hmm. i talked about this unparalleled historical impact and you know he did he was just such a complex man for good and ill Okay. Um, he did a lot of great and a lot of terrible things. Like on the good side, you know, he established the Bank of France. Uh, you know, so he had a lot of influence on monetary policy. Uh, he really, he he was uh, very uh, did a laid a lot of groundwork for equality for white men mm-hmm. specifically. While meantime, stepping back the rights gained by women and minorities. Interesting. Um, but he also, you know, he believed in promotion based on merit, you know, not uh-huh. nepotism. Uh, he subsidized education so that, it, you know, to level the advantages of the classes more in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, in Amsterdam, the city where I live, he is, he and his brother, who, who were the king of Holland, uh, right. they're responsible for the fact that people have last names, which is funny because people- <laughs> It's very funny. <laughs> people pick, well, a lot of people pick their own last names and they thought that they were playing a joke in the French who didn't speak Dutch. But now there's people stuck with like terrible last names today, <laughs> uh, like <laughs> uh, like ham and cheese and even like pubic hair or things like that. <laughs> but others had lovely things like, uh, you know, birdsong or just normal things, you know. Okay. Like, of the dike. But yeah, and he also is responsible for the fact that there's street numbers here, uh, that sex workers get regularly tested. That goes okay. back to Napoleonic law. You know, he really created these uh, great systems, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it depends who, yeah, who they benefit is, um, is yeah another question and his, his brother, they didn't even include him in the film, but his brother, Louis, who mm-hmm. changed his name to Lodewijk, was handed uh, he, the kingship of Holland. And this is actually the brother who stood up to Napoleon. He was so dedicated to being the king of Holland, he actually made the effort to learn the language. Only the story goes that the first time he stood in front of the para- uh, palace and he wanted to declare, I am your king, which is in Dutch, <laughs> ik ben jou koning. Uh-huh. Only he said, ik ben jou konijn, which means I'm your rabbit. <laughs> but he, it makes jelly it's a it's a nice historical precedent for i am a jelly donut so uh right exactly which is what kennedy reportedly said <laughs> right in, in, been, in a i'm in, berliner yeah. yeah um yeah but he uh he loved holland more than his brother in the end it seems or at least he you know this was a source of his feeling good so he stood up to napoleon and they actually battled over it and napoleon won of course 
when right. Joseph was banished, uh, but came back later in his life. And uh, and the people called his brother Lodovic the Good. And Napoleon said to his said to his brother reportedly, brother, when they say of some king or other that he is good, it means that he has failed in his role. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. So it's like a version of it's better to be feared than loved. Mm, right, right. And and I guess that goes to the question of having to make hard choices mm-hmm. at times that you can't uh not everybody's gonna be happy about every decision that you make. And I guess in a rep in a liberal representative, liberal small L, um representative style democracies. You know, you're seeking compromise and tra- you're trying to upset the least amount of people. Whereas if you're an autocrat or a dictator or an emperor, a king emperor, you make the decisions and it's how you see the world and uh, nothing else. So you're going to end up probably upsetting more people at the end of the day uh, at large. And and where does you, where are you holding your power base? You know, with the mm-hmm. aristocracy or with the the people. I, I think it was interesting even to see the end of the French Revolution and the cycle of violence that was happening there with um, uh, Robespierre and the right. and the Directorate. Uh, I think it was a really important part of the I film just, to yeah. set that stuff up too, right? Okay, I disagree though because I okay. think that we already that they wasted time on that when that's not really that important. Like Napoleon wasn't there. Uh, okay. I mean, it is important to set the context that it's, and I guess maybe the idea of including that was to show what Josephine came very close to experiencing. Sure. Um, no, is it historically accurate that she was in jail and then was free? Yes. In that way. Okay. Yes, and it was apparently a very traumatic experience for her in jail. Um, sure. What she said about what she said about uh, that they were encouraged to get pregnant, right, in order right. to save themselves from worse. Um, right. We don't know the exact details, but it, it may have something to do with the fact that she couldn't conceive later, whatever happened to her in jail. Mm-hmm. But she had a couple of children already, right? Yes, she had children from her first marriage. Her husband was beheaded, as they said in the film. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and they did spend a lot of time with the Marie Antoinette sub story there. Yeah. And her, her, and and her, her children, demise. her children were very important. You know, like her uh, daughter ended up marrying Louis. That I just said, the King of Holland, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, their son actually was adopted by Napoleon himself and became Napoleon the Third. So the, oh, the last of the Napoleon line. Okay. Uh, and yeah, they did. They just kind of everyone except for Napoleon, Josephine, and arguably the three leaders of you know the three other countries. Um, everyone else was just kind of introduced and then brushed off until you know I wasn't even even knowing the history. I wasn't really sure who was who on screen. And uh, another flaw of the film was that they did employ little title cards. <clears throat> And on-screen text to explain situations or, you know, tell us locations or tell us who people were. Did you feel that it was inconsistent? Because there were times where I was waiting for the card to tell me, oh, this is this person or this is that person and nothing. And I'm like, who is this and why do I care about them? Well, so for me, there was an extra layer that, um, you know, I was watching it in the Netherlands. So the movie has Dutch subtitles. So when these cards come up, the Dutch version translation comes up 
above them. And for me, it was just like overstimulation and I, oh, my no. brain didn't know which to read. <laughs> <Whoa>! And then, <laughs> so, and they seemed so very I, fast. They would come mm-hmm. up and be gone. And just by the time that I was registering that there was something on screen, it, it was already, you know, and then there, there's characters like uh, Ian McNeese played some king. Uh, maybe he was the French king. Um, uh, towards the end, he's the guy with the, the dog when they, they come in and they say, you know, right. Napoleon's come back or... I believe it was the Austrian uh, uh, ambassador, if you will, who was playing cards a couple of times. They never told us who he was. I, we just had to infer things. So I felt that that was a, a weakness of the film was the inconsistency there. It, it, mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, do it, you know, and, and right. educate me. I'm fine. Right, exactly. This is a historical film. Educate right. me. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hot, hot take, but I had a yes. similar problem with Oppenheimer. Okay. Uh, I still, which a film I still have not seen. (laughs) It was a crazy summer. We did get to see Barbie, but three hours in a theater with no break, I felt was a little excessive. Uh, Same with Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm waiting for both of those to come on streaming before I Yeah. I'm waiting for streaming for Killers. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I'm waiting for, I was going to go, uh, there's a new Steve McQueen documentary about the occupation of Amsterdam during World oh, War II. Mm-hmm. And I saw it's out here before it comes out in the US, which makes sense. It's about here. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And then I looked, I'm like, four and a half hours. Come Good on. Lord. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> break it up. Give me a break. Give yeah. me two days. Yeah. Do something different. I think that's something that's frustrating too with the, the theater going experience is it's a mono experience. It's like, well- if you're going to get me out of the house, break it up. Give me something. You know, I, I I know for our theater, I don't think food and beverage would be an option because that needs a whole lot of extra infrastructure that I don't think they just get the volume for. But that's one thing I do when I'm in a bigger city, being able to have food and drink while I'm watching a movie. I think that's a fun element to it. So. Anyway, yeah. the, we digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, so what's interesting about Napoleon is that he – fought, he became what he hated, what he fought against, you know, he was fighting against this idea of, of kingship, of being royal. And then as Uh, soon as it was offered to him, he was like his father in that, like, oh, okay, well, there go my morals. My new morals are that this is what shall protect France. And I think that's one of the ideas that they did get over better. That okay. The way he framed things, probably mostly to himself, whatever he wanted for himself was for the best of France. Right, and, right. Yeah. I am the state, kind of uh, uh, that that idea. That's interesting. I, I know, that. I know I what know is best. best. I know, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for somebody who literally clawed their way up the society, the social ranks, and pierced into the aristocracy, that's the mm-hmm. um, you know he had. There is some legit credibility there yeah. in the sense of, Hey, I was, uh, you know, it was a, a kid of a minor family or what, well, I'm not sure what their status was. Yeah. They were like big fish in a small pond on Corsica, you know? Yeah. But so you're close, you're close to mm-hmm. life there, right? You're not removed as in, mm-hmm. uh, Marie Antoinette was in Versailles. Um, so he, he understands the, and he understands war and what soldiers go through. So he's got a, he's in touch with right. reality. Well, yeah, his his first experience in life, and he might not remember it, but this would have haunted his entire childhood, was the French violently taking over their island. Right, right. So, yeah, it's interesting, though, that he did become what he fought against. And I think there's some moral and historical lessons there. So, again, you know, trying to take something out of the movie outside of that, which is, oh, yeah, there are – 
oftentimes we fall back into the historical patterns or the patterns that were laid down in our family or in our culture. And if we don't examine those, then we, we, we more often than not, will probably tend to follow those, right? As, as, yeah. a, as a person, as a, we, we adopt ideas and values that we don't even understand that we've adopted, right? They just sort mm. of get implanted in us. So yeah. that was the pattern was to, to be an emperor, right? Well, yeah. I mean, just to illustrate though, how he, how his ideas, moral ideas uh, tended to just be what served him politically best. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the man who both campaigned to reintroduce slavery to the French mm-hmm. colonies. Oh, really? And then also to abolish it abolish later, it. you know, as the wind blows. Uh, okay. But he's, he made France the only country where s- slavery was abolished because of the Haitian revolt, which mm-hmm. was led by this General Toussaint, the character that um, baby T'Challa is named after. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we should have Jean here for this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so and then they agreed, okay, no more slavery. And then he was like, no, nah, actually, mm, it's really better for us economically if we just don't pay you. Um, and yeah, went back in and fought another war over it. <laughs> okay, goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, and being- And then abolished it again later. Right. And, yeah. and I think that's some of the danger of, populism too, right? And and this whole question of how do you rule? And so if you're trying to yes. follow the winds, eh, you know, that doesn't always work out because what, you know, versus having some way to intermediate, some sort of intermediary step through what we currently have um, in, in a lot of the Western countries is representative democracy, right? So that there's a um, blunting of general popular sentiment through a, a representation uh, mm-hmm. process. So, yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, you've got yeah. some notes here about uh, historical yeah, inaccuracies. Just, um, just in general, like I, mm-hmm. uh, adaptations in general, whether it's from fiction or history, I don't mind adaptations, you know, the changes that you have to make. I don't mind fudging yeah. the timelines a bit. I don't mind that uh, Josephine didn't have rotting teeth. Like I can understand why they didn't mm-hmm. go that direction, mm-hmm. but I have to give Vanessa Kirby a compliment because I've heard her in interviews talk about this and she did a lot of her own research and you can tell in the way that she smiles like uh, Marie Antoinette always smiled with her lips closed because of her bad teeth uh, and she was famous for her low melodic voice and so mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby definitely put that into effect here so I, I think you know she did a lot with what she was given and her performance was one of the standouts of the film for me I thought that it was interesting too that they showed her going coming out of prison and then going uh, with her hair, marking time by the growth of her hair. So she had that sort right. of rough chopped cut hair all the way out to uh, ultimately having and, and hair being one of the <laughs> one of the scenes that they uh, that they deal with when she's uh, saying that I've I've just got my yeah. hair done the way that you you like it and now you're going yeah. to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have did you get an understanding of why her hair was cut so short when Napoleon first met her? Uh, I just assumed the I, I had to kind of piece it together later mm-hmm. as I saw it growing. I was like, oh, because she I'm assuming that she was in prison and it had something to do with being in prison, whether a disguise or whether, you know, because of the 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 sanitary uh, conditions mm-hmm. in prison. Close, but um, it, so it was something it was a haircut that at the time was worn by she was she was a leader of of a new 
type of of um, aristocrat after this time who remembered being imprisoned, and but also they simplified their dress. They wore these more diaphanous gowns, and they had this haircut that they called the coiffure à la victime. Okay, and so it was because the women, you know, that when they showed Marie Antoinette with her hair being pulled aside for the guillotine, that was inaccurate. Yes. Her hair would have been chopped off like this. Oh, so wow. when they're chopping off the hair like this, this is making a statement about, you know, I was in line for the guillotine. Um, interesting, interesting. Uh, and they definitely lingered on that scene of uh, Marie Antoinette's hair being moved. So, you know, but, but then yeah. again, you know, whether it accurate nice. or, it, <laughs> you know, I can understand from a filming standpoint, yeah. why you kind of, you know, may mm-hmm. want to do that. So that's interesting. I didn't know that at all about, I know very little about Josephine and my knowledge of his, of Napoleon is just the rough outlines, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if one has studied any sort of, you know, Western history, then, you know, knowing that he, who he, so the rough outlines of his life, but about any more of these particular details. And I guess maybe that was something I was wanting from the film. It was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Take me on the inside and explain to me their relationship and, and yeah. how this worked. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the film, like we talked about before, the film had some covered the moments of impact. Like he brought up the crowning himself. Uh, they, we also saw him winning the soldiers back after his exile in Elba. That's a real story. Mm-hmm. Um, the battles were, you know, accurate-ish. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that were done for dramatic effects, like the people falling through the lake. They found a lot of horses in that lake when they went back afterwards, but only two bodies. So, oh, interesting. Uh, you know, so obviously, okay, that's fine. Ramp it up for drama. I don't care. And um, they were trying to explain his tactical genius. But, and his but using, that's the thing is they yeah. didn't they didn't do that enough. Like they showed Agreed. really lovely in the Battle of Waterloo. They show the English using that square formation that they yeah, used mm-hmm. a lot, and that was mm-hmm. great to see them come into effect. But they didn't show the Battle of the Pyramids, where of course he did not shoot at the pyramid. That Battle of the Pyramids took a place miles away. Um, but they didn't show that he used that square effect uh, to win the battle. He okay. used it almost, it's a defensive maneuver, but he used, uh, used it almost in an attacking way. And then hmm. we have at the Waterloo being turned back around on him. And that would have made that have yes. more impact. Yeah, mirrored that back. Then yeah. that would have, mm-hmm. uh, as the world learns how, how Bonaparte works, we can use those same tactics against him and to defeat him. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I, and it's just one of the most famous uh, things from that first, I don't know why they had him shoot at the pyramid. There is an apocryphal story about him shooting the nose off the Sphinx, but I don't know. Anyway. Um, right. And then I think it was just a, a random soldier. I don't know that it was Napoleon himself right, who okay. shot this. So they, yeah. and they, they did give us the scene of him looking at the Sphinx. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> right. Fair enough. And, yeah. And the whole Egypt campaign is just absent. I mean, we've got him there for one second. And then he he goes back and and it was again just like oh well where why don't we have more here this is an important aspect of of his military career yeah I, um they don't really explain why he's there and also some no. other interesting things there like I was I can understand why they would cut this but I was kind of hoping there was an um an explanation where he kind of distracted he's a brilliant marketer like the way he wore his hat mm-hmm. and also um, the Egypt campaign. 
he he set up archaeology institute there and he would distract people back in france you know he is one of the people who fanned the flames of egyptology made it so popular in europe for years for centuries and he brought and, back a bunch of artifacts which you still see in paris today right well the yeah and most famously and- his his expedition um is the reason that the rosetta stone was found uh, uh, which okay. anyone who doesn't know the rosetta stone is what helps uh helped people translate uh, ancient egyptian hieroglyphics right in, to start right. to be able to read them so it's kind of very a important yeah mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i can understand why they didn't focus you know they didn't mention that in the film but I, there's a lot of little things like that you know like the fact that he was on the french side of the louisiana purchase um someone on twitter was saying i i thought that they would get a laugh out of that but nope not mentioned <laughs> just right broader campaigns but anyway yeah he founded this archaeology institute to um to distract from the fact that the campaigns in Egypt weren't necessarily going that well. He didn't rush back Mm -hmm. because of Josephine. Mm -hmm. He actually, he knew about Josephine's infidelity by that time. And so he had a revenge girlfriend who was called Napoleon's Cleopatra took, stole her from one of his junior officers and just sent the husband back home and they got a divorce. And then when he was done, he was just like, okay, well, uh, here's some money and a new husband. Have a good life. And she became <laughs> and, a novelist, so she did have a good life. You know, she lived in Brazil. <laughs> and, and Josephine does question him, saying, "Did you have uh, lovers or right. you know mistresses?" And that was says, a yeah. nod to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, two things I just was thinking of when we were um, talking about Egypt is that one, every time the dates came up, I had to remind myself about what was going on in the rest of history around the world, both uh, here in the United States where I'm from and in in Europe in general. Uh, and the I didn't even, I didn't think wider picture around the world that would have probably broken my brain a little bit to try to fit it all together. But the idea that what was happening in Russia, what was happening in the United States and what was happening in France were all affecting each other, that none Mm -hmm. of these things were happening in isolation with the Russian Revolution, with the American Revolution and the French Revolution. There's a lot of tight integration there in terms of, and and people are watching each other, you know, and these rulers and and, uh, countries um, uh, are, are examining what's going on and either trying to bulwark themselves against having similar things happen to them or going and grabbing those things and saying, Hey, let's go, let's run with it. So. Right. Yeah. Because the, you know, the French helped the Americans in the American revolution. Yeah. There's a lot of connectivity that gets a lot of blame for the French revolution happening after that, you know, that inspired them. So this is the real reason why all these countries around France are, you know, trying to reinstall the king in France and trying to stop Napoleon because they're like, this idea of liberty is going to spread and it's going to infect all of Europe. It's, and, and it's a it, direct challenge it, to the, yeah, it did. And it's a direct mm-hmm. challenge to the aristocracy and the and the divine right of kings to rule by lineage uh, yeah. as opposed to having a more liberal sense of we can construct ourselves. We say who we are, which is mm-hmm. really interesting because when he does crown himself, that is such a radical departure from all of what happens before in terms of how power is passed down from, right. from you know, family right. to family and, and individuals within those families. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. He is basically declaring himself a god in a way by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, a man god. <laughs> yeah. Of, of by the way, uh, so Wellington, the head of the British, was played by Rupert Everett. Um, uh-huh. That's I used to have such a crush on him back in like the late '90s and early noughties, uh when he was in My Best Friend's Wedding and The Importance of Being Earnest and all these uh-huh. films. I have not seen him on film for so long, and he looks so different. He was unrecognizable to me, and then I realized it's been 25 years. No, oh, right. Came out. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually hoping uh, Ben Miles would have been him. He played uh, Colin Court. And uh, he was in Andor. He was uh, Mon Mothma's old school chum. Okay, right. And he, what was he in? He was just in something else that uh, I watched. I'm blanking the name of that. Anyway, he, I thought he would have made a great Wellington. But uh, anyway, I'm not in charge of casting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. What else uh, uh- we want to talk about here? You've got some more notes. So, Right. Um, so, yeah, I just think that the movie should have been grounded in Napoleon's roots, uh, okay. should have been shown his ambition and frequent callousness, uh, that this was a product of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. It just kind of blows everything by that. And, you know, when you, a lot of people are comparing it to Gladiator and yes, yes it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gladiator is also inaccurate, but it had more cohesion and heart. It made mm-hmm. you care and want to learn the real history. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it told the emotional story and that's where I was, what I was missing here. Um, because like Josephine, she seems meant to be the heart of the film. Right. And I don't mind blurring the lines or modernizing the way they speak or, you know, but I feel like she was misrepresented here because this is a story about a woman who is trapped by, um, trapped by, you know, the laws of her time. And yeah. not only that, but then married and then divorced by the man who made the laws of her time worse. You know, he turned back the clock on what women gained in rights through the mm-hmm. revolution. He was like, mm-hmm. not undo that. You are subjugated to your husbands. He even passed a law in 1810, which <clears throat> may have been inspired by someone he knew that a man cannot be punished for murdering his adulterous wife. If she is caught in the act at home, like that's where his head was at. Okay. Right. So uh, at, at the same time, modernizing at the same time, traditionalizing, uh, norms and values and laws. So yeah real complex figure there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was basically passed to Napoleon by her previous lover, who was his superior. Mm-hmm. And like his, he was ready to move on. And he was like, hey, okay, meet this junior officer. Obviously having no idea what Napoleon would, would become. Um, and Napoleon, he just kind of wanted to take, he had been rejected by women a lot. He was a, an outsider. and Right. Rough Corsican, um, probably right. you know, not, not classically attractive. He was studying battles rather than, right. you know, hanging out, out with people in school. And yeah, exactly. Play, playing D&D instead of uh, <laughs> being well, out on I, football. I wish, but. <laughs> <laughs> risk, maybe risk, risk or yeah, strategia, exactly. stratego yeah. or something. Um, but yeah, so this, she was like kind of handed to him. And this was after she had her experience in jail. You know, she'd already lost her husband and her security, her family. She didn't Mm. have access to her family money. She grew up in Martinique. And Um, in the film, she's like desperate. Please don't leave me. And and we don't understand why. Yeah. But now I understand why. Because she didn't want to leave privilege or life of privilege. Yeah. And for him, he was infatuated with her at first. And I do think he loved her more than any of the other women in his life. But Mm -hmm. it was all about control for him. You know, he even codified it when he could. 
And for example, her real name is Marie Joseph Rose is her like first three names. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she has her last names. Um, And so she went by Rose by to everyone until she met Napoleon. And he was like, I don't like that name. I'm going to, you know, one of your names is Joseph, which is his brother's name. uh, Favorite older brother is Joseph, by the way. He was like, you will be Josephine. And so he just renamed her. Wow. And she had to go along with that. And that's interesting. We, we, we get no sense of that. And, um, the only sense we have is this sort of um, psychological sexual tension and they throw in the mother angle with it. And when they have them first meet, what they're communicating to me is star-crossed lover thing. Mm -hmm. But then it never goes there and then it gets kind of weird. And then at times – cringy. I, I cringed a couple of times during, I was like, do we need these sex scenes? Do we really need this sort of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. None of, none of that served the the purpose for me of this storytelling. Right. Uh, or maybe once was fine and we, I, I didn't need a lot more. And, and this idea, and then they, when they have that big fight, when he comes back from Egypt and then there's the whole mommy stuff, I'm like, what? is going on here. This is, is this real? Is this not real? I had no basis on which to validate what Ridley Scott is telling me about their relationship. Because I'm not that, you know, I I haven't read her letter, you know, the letters between them. No, but I I think it was misrepresented. The letters are real. Those. Yeah, uh, 100%. Right. Yeah. But you can tell the letters are mostly from him and she did keep them, but where are her letters to him? Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't know. We know letters she wrote to other people were not necessarily so flattering. Um, But I think (laughs) they are much more interesting as a political couple than Mm -hmm. they are as a romantic couple. Because, you know, on his side... She he saw in her access to the noble connections, the right, courtly yep. manners, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she played dumb for him because he wanted that. But when they schemed together, was when he had his many of his greatest successes. And I think that's what they're trying to say when she's like, "You're nothing without me." But then they didn't show why they didn't show he, it. Yeah, they why? didn't show any of that. You know, showing um, him like, okay, so you're going to be in the meeting with this guy and that guy, and then you got to say this to this person over here, and then that's going to push. Like, we got none of the palace intrigue or having her whispering in his ear about how to how to manage that stuff, which would have been great. And another aspect of the dynamic, which with, with the casting isn't shown, is that she was six years older than him. Okay. And this was something that they felt they had to hide at first. They lied about both their ages on the marriage record. Um, the first one, they had a civil marriage. Okay. And then, but he used to use it to shame her later when, you know, she couldn't have another child. Right. He right. was like, well, it's because you're an old slut. He really did call her a slut. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And it, it, the interesting thing is also that as his affections waned, because of her infidelities right. and not mm-hmm. returning it. And uh, her jealousy grew and she would spy on him. So it was driving them. And she was also, she would act out by shopping, by buying all okay. these outrageous <laughs> things. You know? Right. Trying to um, exercise whatever agency she had in the, exactly. in the relationship. Yeah. Exactly. And I would have loved to have seen the exploration of, you know, because that was the means that was left to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spending exactly. his money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's confusing. It's, it's unfortunate. And, um, yeah, it was some of the hardest stuff to watch. The battle scenes were easier to watch in many cases rather than it was watching their relationship (laughs) because then I didn't know where this relationship was going to go story-wise. If you're going to take a stand in the story, then 
and we're going to weave in and out. This is a couple that to the outside world, they lean on each other and they're best friends, which is an oft used line in it. And um, but yet it's at, at its heart is still a dysfunctional relationship. That's a story that we've seen before told in different ways and they could love each other, but it doesn't work out that, you know, that whole vibe would have worked, but instead we just got a lot of then the, the historical gender attitudes from him. And, and again, it didn't ever take a clear stand, right. to make things make sense for me. I was constantly right. confused about the relationship. Yeah, and I I think it would have benefited from exploring more his relationships with with other people because it mm-hmm. helps paint her in contrast because she was the most significant woman in his life. He was when he met her, he was um engaged to a, a woman called Desiree Claire mm-hmm. who was was the younger sister of his brother's wife. Okay. And but he left her for Josephine. He was definitely infatuated. And okay. it's funny, Desiree went on to become the queen of Sweden. Okay, and then her me. son married Josephine's granddaughter. Right. And through her, Josephine is, uh, is you know, the ancestor of many royal families in Europe. Okay. So, yeah. They, yeah if, right. And, and this, this goes into the, the – that's another place you could have um, grounded the film in is, is on these intricacies because mm-hmm. – between all of these royal families, what are they trying to do? They're trying to hegemonize. Is that the right way to? I don't know if that's the right way to, to explain yeah, anyway. it. <laughs> anyway, they're trying to c- control their power base, mm-hmm. right? And we do that through bloodlines and through intermarriages, but it's also politically expedient to uh, marry the daughters and relatives of other powerful leaders, just Absolutely. like he. he um, I, I did. There, there's these lines. I'm sorry, I'm segueing off into the right. humor aspect really quickly. Oh, it's nice to meet another emperor. Like I get mm-hmm. the line, I get what he was trying, but it didn't right. work. But anyway, when he's talking to the the um, czar of Russia and he's saying, "Well, let me marry your daughter," or yeah. "Let me you know, younger sister," yeah, younger sister. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, yeah or, you know, or what about the other one? And then suddenly we switch to he's marrying uh, yes. one of the Austrian. Right, which is true. Uh, that is did happen. Um, but yeah, the, it was very. It all these cuts so were confusing. so sudden. All these cuts yeah. were so sudden, and it, and it is. It should be an interesting payoff because he's been fighting Austria this entire movie, mm-hmm. and then finally he's marrying Austria. And so this Archduchess Marie Louise, who he marries at the end, she's coming back to the last uh, Austrian who was sent to uh, marry a French emperor was Marie Antoinette. Okay. So, <laughs> so there you go, right? Her great aunt, yeah. Right. Um, and this this is all stuff that would is more interestingly explained in a multi-part right. series. Or just focus on one part, you know. Yeah. Right. Because also, yeah, his his Napoleon Cleopatra, you know, the Cleopatra in his life is definitely Josephine because Cleopatra was a savvy smart woman, not just a side piece. Mm-hmm. Um and but Napoleon, with this this woman Pauline, uh, who he took from his younger officer, like she was, she was um, industrious enough that she disguised herself as a man to follow her husband on the campaign. Okay. Only for Napoleon to swoop in and right. <laughs> decided that she was his, whether she or her husband wanted it or right. not, and that was the end of that love. Um, and that and we just, you- I want to see that side. Right. That brings me back to a thought I left open earlier when I uh, mentioned something about the you know the dates and, and rec- remembering oral history, is also the the 
nature, the sea, the Caesar aspect of it, that this is, you know, he's, they even say this in the movie, you know, everybody's relating to you as the Caesar of France. Um, and so that he's had a foray in Egypt and that he has a quote unquote Cleopatra to his name. And yet, and you know, he's a returning general and stepping foot. And there's so many historical parallels there with, uh, Rome and, and Caesar. And I just make, it makes me think of Ray Stevenson and the, the HBO Rome series, uh, you know, anyway, okay, yeah. I miss Ray yeah. Stevenson anyway. Yeah, me too. Especially after Ahsoka. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, they're just, there's so many, th- that's a rich history. We could have just focused on that right. aspect, right? Right. Or, or Marie Antoinette, I always say, okay, we got to get divorced because I'm not pr- producing an heir for you. Fine. Now let me whisper in your ear, you should marry this one or you should, you know, go after that one or see, you know, is she the power behind him? You know, well, we never yeah, see not, any of that not in the divorce. She was, she was uh, terrified to be that. divorced because she didn't want to be powerless, you know, left. Right. Uh, but he goes back and he sees her and he brings his, right. his uh, first he did, her. He did make sure that she met his son. Um, right. So yeah, we did have his heir was his son, but then after he died, the next heir, like I said, was his brother's son who right. he raised, who was going to be his heir before he had a son of his own, but okay. they didn't address any of that. Um, and again, and- then going back to this idea that he's, you know, f- he's fighting against something that he ultimately becomes, which is he's self-crowned, but yet the only way that he can legitimize his power is by having an heir to to pass mm-hmm. his power to. Yeah. So I, is- I did think that that was interesting. That part was told yeah. well enough. I got mm-hmm. that. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, they did show the importance to him of that and how that, you know, derailed his marriage at the very least. Some people say it was a political derailment too. Um, Yeah. And he's scrambling to hold on to power as he's making increasingly difficult decisions and the other nations around him are are getting savvier and better at, at beating him or containing it, what, you know, what have you. He's, he's getting really mixed up here at the end between, oh, I, you know, I've got to, Got to have an heir. Who am I to marry? Yeah, this it's it gets messy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I can yeah. say. But I am with all of his subjugation of, of women rights. He did treat his baby mamas. Uh, you know, he did make sure that they were set up when he was done with them. I okay. mean, they all went on to well, marry a couple other nobles, and okay. uh, they they, they went on to. Yeah, have good long lives, have other kids. Um, a million francs a year, I think the you know they they give her right to keep her in in uh, in comfort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have to give them and the uh, and the exiles. I wanted to see more of the exiles. Like they could have just mm-hmm. they have done entire movies just set on one of those. Like I actually I went to visit his house in Elba, okay, um, which is an island off the coast of Tuscany, and. Right. I was disappointed at first. They didn't show like his house is a museum there. So it's like perfectly preserved. And I thought that that would be on screen. But then I looked up afterwards that it was a COVID production. So they only filmed in the UK. So, okay, okay, fine. That's granted. But they still could have shown that story because that's actually where he was when he found out about Josephine's death. And he apparently locked himself in a room for two days and wouldn't speak to anyone. Right. Um, and, and so that's the the other and we've touched on this already but I'll I'll just reiterate I'll say it again in a different way going into the film I think that was one of my expectations was that this was going to be this tragic star-crossed lover scenario where he's infatuated in her she doesn't really love him but she's using him and it's this interplay of their um two personalities that then shapes the course of Europe 
that is true, uh, you know, into in a large kind of, yeah. yeah. But yet, the the story never settles on that. It never settles mm-hmm. in one place or another, and so I it doesn't tell for us more. what it touches yeah. on things without telling us a story. You know, it gives exactly. us it's, it's more like a sequence of vignettes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to relate to it. Yeah, right. and and also it was interesting that you know his second wife she, she just disappeared the second she was introduced on screen like so many other characters, um, <laughs> but she was you know she played a role and when he was on Elba he kept trying to get her to come to him and like when he first tried to get um, Josephine to write to him she was just like nah I'm just I'm chilling back here found a new guy to hang out with while you're gone um, right. and yeah she ended up never seeing him again. Um, I do have to say though the I liked the ending for him on St. Helena. Uh, first of all, it was the most picturesque I've ever mm-hmm. seen that island portrayed on screen. Okay. Oh, and if you don't know where St. Helena is, go to a Google map, yeah, punch it in. It is remote to say yeah. the least. It is literally, yeah. it's sort of off the coast of- Because Elba is not remote. Elba, I feel like you could swim right. it. Yeah. Exactly. And it wasn't a hard trip for him to, to get mm-hmm. back to the shores of France, where right. this is- if you're due west of Angola, you know, and Namibia, or due east mm-hmm. of um, Brazil, parts of Brazil, it's out there, <laughs> and yeah. there's there's no easy way for him to communicate or to raise troops. Whereas with yeah, with uh, with um, uh, uh, not Corsica, but um, uh, Elba. He can communicate, uh, you know, Corsica's just to the side, Italy's to the other side. It's it's easy for him to marshal troops, to be in regular communication and organize logistically a reintroduction. Well, he was also, he was basically left to his own devices there. And the right. person who was there to keep an eye on him, you know, just like let him do whatever, disliked <laughs> yeah, him whatever. kind of, you know, they had a, <laughs> they hung out uh, and he got to play. He was the king of the island. Right, um, right. But obviously that's not enough for it's a small island, a lovely island. I recommend going. <laughs> <laughs> it only took him um, a year to get tired, but he's so close, right? You could mm-hmm. see why. Hey, I just want to pluck then, the, the fruit. Yeah, on and St. Helena, he was under lock and key, and there were boats constantly circling the island. Right. You know, to like he was, prison. Uh, mm-hmm, that was yeah. They were like, okay, we're not messing around this time. Um, but still, they showed that he had a peaceful death. So I kind of it was kind of a nice version. Um, they do say, and I don't know if this is a real sto- real at all. Anytime somebody talks about their last words, uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> I just think that it's, <laughs> people make up nice last words for people. Right. But apparently both Napoleon and Josephine mentioned each other in their last words. So they say okay. his last word was, he talked about his military campaigns and then his last word was Josephine. Um, uh, did you like the last last shot? Where he just falls over? Yeah. I mean, I thought that, you know, was sudden and, uh, yeah, I didn't mind it. I, I thought that, but I wish that they had shown, they, they had, you know, the back and forth where he's thinking about uh, writing to her and, you know, their words to each other and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't show, for instance, that when he was defeated at Waterloo, before he was sent to St. Helena, he spent his last days in France at her old house picking her favorite flowers, which I think was Iris, and mm-hmm. like, put it in a locket that he wore at the end of his life. And if the mm. movie's supposed to be about the romance, yeah. why are we missing details like that? Yeah. Not to, you know, I, I don't want to just harp on the movie because I know a lot of people did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, visually stunning, 
Mm-hmm. And I hope that it makes people more curious to find out more about all these things that were presented. It's just as somebody who's very interested in, in the history of Napoleon, I hope for more, more yes. specific, more, give me the juice, give me, you know, mm. bring this man to life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it really suffered from a lack of focus, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and we'll see how it ages. I, I don't feel like I'm going to run back to to see this when it comes on streaming or anything like that, but you know, within the uh, collected uh, visual storytelling of Napoleon, we'll see, and or Ridley Scott's uh, film, you know, ultimate filmography. So, yeah. all right, well, let's wrap it up there. How are things going for the Wool Shift Dust feed? You guys seem to be a little bit busy on that side. Uh, yeah, next up is the breakdown of the Dune novel. Well, actually, next up is the breakdown of the Shift novel in the book club. Okay. Uh, and then and the you Dune and Abby novel- are covering that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then the Dune novel in the public feed, followed by a breakdown of Beacon 23 uh, on MGM Plus, episodes three through five, we're going to cover together. Okay. I just finished two. Uh, episode two and I'm okay. uh, scratching my head a little bit, but okay. still invested there. I, I will say this, there have been much, much worse productions made <laughs> in the history of sci-fi. So there's enough going on that it's keeping me interested, but uh, I don't think it's going to make my top 10 cut for sure. Okay. No, that's fair. Um, yeah. I think it's good to, for anyone who's checking it out to keep in mind that the book itself, the, it's wildly different from the book, as I keep okay. saying, just like completely new, new characters and plot and stuff, but they are drawing elements from it. And one thing is the structure, which is a series of short stories okay. that feed into each other. It does so. feel a little bit like you could see where there's some lines of short stories being welded together. I could see that a little bit. But it's not, these are not the stories from the book, but they're using that Weird. structure where it's like it's more it's almost it's like an a- anthology with a through line okay interesting okay, so if you All think right. about it that way then i think yeah uh, we'll see we'll see how the rest <laughs> of the series goes for steve and anthony over on the properly howard movie review podcast they wrapped up their season this year of remake films right now they're covering severance season one we have a dedicated feed set up for that so if you're not seeing those you need to just go into your podcast player. And if you search for Lorehounds Severance, you should be able to find that. Steve and Anthony are doing all of season one. And then the moment that we hear news about season two, we'll set up our schedule for that. And John and I are going to join Steve and Anthony. So the four of us are going to cover that week to week, episode to episode. For the Lorehounds ourselves, we've got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. We don't have any big marquee show to cover right now. So we're we're sort of covering a, a, a lot of different things. For our Star Wars Film Festival, we have Solo. Uh, we covered, um, uh, we did a live watch, a community live watch of that. And uh, then we did a podcast about it and then caught up with a whole bunch of uh, feedback from Ahsoka and Star Wars news in general. And then Lorehounds Play, Steve, or uh, sorry, John and Anthony, John, wow, my, the names are getting all jumbled up in my head. <laughs> John and Brandon are going to be covering Skyrim, the long, t- <laughs> we've been waiting for this podcast for a while, uh, but w- that should finally be out on uh, sometime around the 1st of December. <laughs> and then we, uh, John and I, with Steve and Anthony, covered the 1978 Star Wars holiday special. So that was a lot of fun to d- discuss that. That'll be out probably on the 5th of December, which is the same time that there's a big documentary and book being released uh, about that. And that should be out. We've also got the creator still in the can. I've got to get that edited. Yeah. <clears throat> you it's and on John, D now. So people, is it? People okay. Watch good. It. Mm-hmm. That, that, that works. 
Uh, you and John are going to do something on Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and we're bringing in, a, a, we're going to have a Brit representing, don't worry. Uh, okay. We're bringing in a friend of mine who's the Who expert in my life. So <laughs> Very cool. That's yeah. great. That should be fun. We've got Silmarillion Stories. Uh, it's going to be out in the middle of the month. Then we've got Ursi. We're going to finally put Tehanu uh, to bed. And uh, we recorded that, so that's all ready to go. And then John and Marilyn are going to cover Hogfather. Uh, this is a title that yeah, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with. I love folk horror, so I'm very okay. curious. Yeah, Very cool. And then wrapping it up for the year, on the 25th, we will release our second breakfast podcast, which is typically an exclusive to Patreon subscribers only. That's where we talk about life in general, and we usually cover a, a, a goofy movie or two, uh, talk about breakfast food. It's a lot of fun. Um Anyway, we are going to do our annual year in review, so our sort of top 10 for 2023. I've got my lists mostly together. We're going to be interviewing all of our other co-hosts, so Alicia, you, and Jean, and Marilyn. We're going to be getting your guys' uh, top three, just for timing-wise. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, along with some extra bonus questions. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, we're going to do a community list this year. So there'll be there's a the email went out today where folks can um, uh, go to a Google survey form, fill in their top 10, and then the, the three bonus questions. And then we've got some folks in our community who are uh, more data driven than I am. And they're going to be able to work some magic on that and come up with a ranked list for us. So that should be a lot of fun. So we always make that podcast uh, available to the general public as sort of our um, holiday, you know, present uh, to everyone. So pretty good. And then we're going to see what we get in January. We've got a couple of things on deck, but we'll let everyone know. Lastly, we always like to give a shout out to our Patreon subscribers, uh, to our lore masters in particular. They are Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O. H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwong Yu, Laura G, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, and Adrian, who is always last but never least. <laughs> Alicia, thanks for jumping on with me today. This was fun. Uh, even though it was uh, not uh, um, the movie we were expecting, I think it was still fun it's to still break fun it to down. to talk about, yeah. Exactly, and, and try to find some of the, the gold threads that were inlaid in the fabric. Okay, and I'm yeah. going to end that metaphor there. <laughs> so. <laughs> Wishing you liberté, égalité, fraternité, also for the women in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Merci. Bonne chance. À tout à l'heure. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. 
and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.